It is Monday, January 15th, 2024. This is another edition of Football Today. You know that dude, Bobby Skinner from the Talking Giants world. I am Chris Rose, producer Mikey along for the ride as well. Anybody else have a real interesting weekend around here? Um, No, I mean, we were watching playoffs. Some people were riding Ds. Um, yeah. how, how are you doing, Chris Rose? I am great. I am great. This is the way I've explained it to people, my good friends. First of all, it's amazing when you trend because you hear from people you haven't heard from in years. Like, you know, these names pop up on your phone with texts and you're like, oh, so good to hear from you. Why are you reaching out? Um, nobody got hurt. It was funny. It was not controversial. And MJD and I love working with one another. When we were done after the segment, actually during in the middle of the segment, when we went to like an interview or something, I turned to him and I went, really? He's like, what am I supposed to do with that? I was like, just keep rolling, maybe. But it was perfect the way it happened because the, the stop and stare. And then when I finished with defense, we kind of it was great. It was what did fun. your what did your kids say? Uh, it was funny because Brady, who's the younger one, like his buddies posted it on social media, like tackling little kids. And I, actually, one of them was on the phone with him when I got home. I was like, really, Vigo, you posted that thing? He goes, Chris, it was great. You're you're world world known now. You're world famous. I was like, oh, perfect. Great. So, well, there'll be no no there'll be no D riding on football today. We're going no. we're going after teams today. We're 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 not we're not riding. Anyways, let's uh let's let's talk about this game. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh let's start in <clears throat> Dallas. I will not refer to it as big anything. It is just Dallas. The big D. World. Uh, Packers thrash the Cowboys. They advance to the divisional round, so they erase the number two seed. Now they get a shot at the number one seed next Saturday. That means Dallas will now not make at least the NFC title game for almost the 30th straight year. In your opinion, does Dallas need to A, change its quarterback, B, change its coach, or C, change both? You have to change the coach. You have to. Um, you need you need to go get you know we'll talk about Bobby Slowick later someone like Bobby Slowick who's going to week in week out look to take advantage of the other defenses issues and not just run your offense that was pathetic man that was that was a pathetic outing as we've ever seen of this Dak Prescott Dallas area right and you can't just throw away Dak Prescott right but but at what point do we start judging him for the playoffs and 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 not do like we said all year and I honestly hated it Rose. Because I hate judging a team for its last year's performances. But it's like, I'm not, I'm not buying in. I'm not buying the Dallas. I don't care how good they look. I'm not buying the Dallas until they win big games. And they beat Philly. I'm like, okay, that's the one we've been asking for. But now we've seen the Philly is really just not that good. We'll see if they can beat the Bucks on Monday night. At what, at what point do, are we – this is just a team full of stars that's going to have great regular season outings and just chokes in the playoffs. Like they they choked to a team that wouldn't have even been in in the old playoff format. I gotta admit, I got got this year. I really did. For the longest time, when you work covering the NFL, you have to talk about the Cowboys, right? It just feels like you have to. But for the longest time, I also felt like, well, if you put these guys just in other helmets without a star on the side, how interesting would the team be? Would we really be talking ad nauseum about them? And there were years where, yeah, maybe they deserve a little bit of chatter here and there. But for the most part, they were okay. You know, they were like a lot of these other 
teams that were fighting for playoff spots, you know, maybe they'll go on a run, maybe they won't, but they weren't anything special. And then this year, I was like, damn, particularly when they're at home, they are a different team. They're blowing out teams by 16, 17 points per game. They're putting up almost 40 per contest at home. So when they won the NFC East and guaranteed themselves a home game, when they won that game on that Saturday night against Detroit, whether with or without the help from the referees, they guaranteed that they'd have a shot at the two seed. And boy, it was all there for the taking. The road to San Francisco and being in a conference championship for the first time since 1996, I believe, it was right there for everything. And then it just crashed. And the fact that it happened against A, a seven seed, which had never won in this tournament before Sunday, B, the youngest team to ever participate in a playoff game since 1970, and C, a Joe Barry coach defense. Are you, you kidding me? I think Joe Barry might be one of the worst defensive coordinators, if not the worst defensive coordinator in the NFL. And all you did was just sat there and tried to force feed the ball to C.D. Lamb in the middle of the field. Of course they're going to have that covered. Of course. So you tried to force feed the ball to C.D. Lamb. You Like, this has to la- like we can't fall like we can't fall for this. Like, what are we going to do next year when the Cowboys do the exact same thing in the regular season, Rose? Are we going to like? It sucks to sit here and blame them for their last year's failures, but it's but it's the same old thing. Dak in the playoffs chokes. He does not show up. He has four interceptions in his last two playoff games. His two playoff wins were versus Seahawks in 2018, where they ran the ball 34 times, and then the eight and nine Bucks last year, like. Like you, you, you can't just throw Dak Prescott away, right? Like you can't. But do you like start to create an exit plan? Like what? Do, how? How did like? That's where I'm at, at a loss of what to do because this isn't like this isn't Tua. This isn't some just quarterback who's like living off of scheme stuff. In fact, I think the scheme is underwhelming, especially when you're playing, you know, in the playoffs. What What do they do going forward besides change the head coach, which can help? But okay. I think I think it's a lot of a DAC, more DAC issue than we want to give it credit. Okay, well let let's start with one at a time. With Dak, he's got one more year left on that four year, hundred sixty million dollar deal. Why can't you just let it play out? But then what do you, what do you do from there? Well, you can. There are quarterbacks available this year, right? They do have their pick. I think it's right around twenty four or something like that. So if you see somebody you like, I mean, you've got to start doing your homework. You just have to because now Dak, now you know exactly what Dak is. And I don't think that's good. Like if you if you were another team and he was available, would you say that's the guy to help us win a Super Bowl? Let's start with that question. I would rather go after Kirk Cousins. And we talked about this on okay. maybe the first couple of episodes of this show, Rose. Of uh, who would you rather have, Kirk Cousins or Dak Prescott? And we said mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins, right? And Kirk Cousins got hurt this year, but Dak had an Dak had Dak. Had, this was his best season. Mm-hmm. Like Dak is probably going to finish like third or fourth in MVP voting, and rightfully so. And I mean, the interceptions were forcing throws. You know, he should have thrown three more interceptions. By the way, like they're touching okay. at the end of the half. There was a ball that went into another player's hands. There's a couple yep. other. He was missing C.D. Lamb. You know, not gargantuan misses, but missing him. Um, like they defied logic in the wrong way. Well, they have all these all pros. They have a team, and I, 
you know, I put out before the game. I was like, there's no excuses for the Cowboys. You yeah. usually wouldn't talk about that in a 2-7 seed, but you just had this feeling it's the Cowboys. It's the playoffs. They're going to choke. And that's why I put that line. There's no excuses for this. This cannot be written off. And Greg Olson, who I thought did a good job breaking down the game, he had a, you know, there's going to be overreaction to this. I don't think there can be an overreaction to this. I, I really don't think there's anything that Jerry Jones that can do that would say that's a total overreaction to this. Okay, so let's get the other side of this, because I think both you and I think they're going to be stuck with Dak just because of salary cap ramifications for the next year. I think it's like a $60 million cap hit if they try to move on from him this year. So I think we'd have to table that discussion momentarily. The coaching point, we have never seen a coaching free agent class quite like this one, right? You've got the most sought-after guy who's in college and has been successful at this level in Jim Harbaugh. You've got Bill Belichick, who's the greatest coach in the history of this sport, I don't care whether he's 71 or whatever. The guy can still coach. Bill Belichick, the talent evaluator, is the guy that did in Bill Belichick, the coach in New England over the last several years. Pete Carroll is available if you want to go that route. And then Mike Vrabel, who's much younger than those guys, but still has had a successful run in his six years as an NFL head coach. Don't you think all of those guys would be a major upgrade from what they've gotten, Mike McCarthy? Yeah, but to me... It- it has to do with the play caller, right? Like who is calling, like if Bill Belichick gets in there, who is calling the plays? Cause you need an excellent play caller. Like one of these up and coming young guys that we talk about, like you, and you, and those guys don't just become available. Those guys either become head coaches or they stay where they're at. So you gotta, you'd have some vision. So if you go get Bill Belichick, like outside of GM decisions, I think his worst decision in 24 years as the Patriots head coach was the Joe Judge, Matt Patricia offense. And then you bring in Bill O'Brien, think it'd be a little better, and that obviously didn't work either. So, like, that's, you know, Bell, Bills went to the well on his coaches over the years, right? He hasn't really brought in a bunch of young, new cats. Um, Josh McDaniels. Was, does a Josh McDaniels, Dak Prescott offense work? I don't know. I like like I, I if I'm the Chargers, I want Josh McDaniels with Bill Belichick. With Dak, I don't know, because I don't really trust Dak. Like in the in these big time moments, he gets lost. He gets stuck on on what he what should be there and doesn't get off of it. So it'll look really good in the regular season. I think in the playoffs to run that offense, you gotta you gotta be two steps ahead. And I, and in the playoffs, Dak just gets like tunnel vision. Okay, Jim Harbaugh. Yes, but he's going to try and bring in whoever to run the damn ball and, and get them going and stuff, and that could be some success, and they have the, the 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 personnel to do that. But this is where it's like, I don't know where this team goes because they can absolutely make a head, upgrade a head coach, but their talent is awesome, and they just lost to the seventh seed. And I and I, McCarthy has to be fired, and I'm not advocating the move off of Dak, right? I think that would be silly, but I just... I'm not putting any faith in Dak to lead a team to the Super Bowl. There's He's given me no reason to besides regular season success in all these years. By the way, I know you mentioned somebody like Bobby Slowick, and we'll talk about what he did to the Cleveland Browns as the Houston OC in just a few minutes. But I don't think you can go unproven. I don't think you can get rid of Mike McCarthy and go with a maybe right now. I just can't do it. Now, I understand your trepidation, with an offensive staff under all the guys we mentioned in terms of Belichick, Vrabel, and Pete Carroll, 
who have tried several different offensive coordinators in recent years, and they haven't found the right fit. So I I understand that. I agree with all of that sort of stuff. Man, I don't think I could shoot my shot with one of these young OCs and just say, hey, screw it. It'll work. No way. But I, I feel like that's the only thing that's going to get Dak to be successful in the playoffs as someone who's able to, you know, do what, you know, Bobby Sloak did versus the Cleveland Browns, to do what, you know, LaFleur did to the um to to the hey, to the Cowboys in this game. Like there's a big difference between devising a game plan against a defense and running a room. And you know that. We don't know. Like there's been a ton of brilliant minds, both offensively and defensively, who cannot handle the room and more importantly, cannot handle Dallas. That's a different animal. I don't know Bobby Slowick at all. Maybe his personality's great. Maybe he's right in line for it. But, dude, that is a big step up. Yeah, To me, if, if they don't do that, I think they're just going to be stuck in this in this realm of losing the playoffs. Maybe it raises their ceiling a little bit where they can get to that conference championship, but I'm never going to pick this team to win four games in a row in the playoffs with Dak Prescott at quarterback. I, I think we can agree on this, that if Jerry Jones is making a move, he's making it in the next probably 48 hours. He has to. He's, he takes so long. I, you remember the Jason Garrett firing took like over a week. Remember those dilemmas? I'm I'm not convinced that Jones is going to do it. I'm He's not either. more patient than we realize, right? He's mm-hmm. gotten very patient in his old age. Um, I'm not convinced that McCarthy's gone. Now, our luck, this podcast will come out and he'll be fired at that point. But. <laughs> all right, so Jordan Love lit up Dallas. Aaron Jones ran all over him. But that Green Bay defense stifled the number one scoring offense when the game was still close. Just how shocked were you the way the game itself played out in Green Bay's favor? I was stunned. I mean, it was 27-0, and you're just like, this is, this is, this is, this is like, this is like a, you know, a parody of the Dallas Cowboys. I know we're, we're talking about from the Packers' point of view. But, man, they did everything well. Like you said, they ran the ball extremely well. Aaron Jones got to run the ball 21 times for six yards of pop, basically, three touchdowns. Um, I know I haven't been the biggest Jordan Love fan, but what the one thing I really do like about him is his willingness to hang in there and throw the ball over the middle mm-hmm. of the field, which the last quarterback we talked about, I think that's an issue with him. Um, like, that really showed up. And not even – like, the touchdown the Wicks is the one that we'll, we'll remember versus that cover zero, but there was others earlier in the game. Um, but I, th- I think it's the turnovers are on defense, which is really what, you know, made this game a blowout and not a 31 to 24 type game. Well, because they are the youngest team to ever enter the playoffs since 1970, we just thought they didn't really have a chance. Like they've been a remarkable story, but you know, outside of the chiefs where maybe you got a little bit of help on that, uh, Sunday night game, but who else down the stretch did you really take care of? But I'll tell you what Jordan Love did. He took care of the football. His last nine games, he's got 21 touchdowns and has thrown one interception. I, I think... And he's not safe with the ball, really, either. Like, in a sense where it's like he's just dinking and dunking. Like, he puts that huh. ball out there and it, with some air under it over the middle of the field. He takes some chances. I, I wish we could have had a camera on him from day one when he showed up as the number one pick in 2020 to yesterday because I think the growth of this kid who was literally on layaway like we saw him with one start when uh, Rodgers I think had COVID that was in Kansas City a couple of years ago 
And then all of a sudden he's handed the keys to the car. And there were there were some people, and I know we talked about it on the show, who after four or five weeks were like, Packers haven't found their quarterback. And that was so unfair. It was so unfair. And now he is light years ahead of where he was even in the beginning of October of this past season. Like he is, he just seems like a dude that, I mean, there were some Rodgers-esque throws. The number of times he threw off his back foot yesterday, didn't you feel like you were watching number 12 at times? Yeah, I mean, it was like every big, every good play they had was Jordan Love throwing over off his back foot over the middle of the field. Um, so, yeah, there's absolutely been growth. I mean, I think he had like the second worst completion percentage in the NFL after Zach Wilson at, at one point in the season. I don't know mm-hmm. what it's at now. Obviously, it takes a long time to bump that back up. So probably still with low for the whole year. Um, I still am not like fully sold on Jordan Love. Like sometimes I have to do remind myself it is year four for him. Um you know, I, I still like. I think there's some inconsistency there, but so how? How? If this is my question, and this what? How do you think you should judge Jordan Love as like a rookie, or as someone who's going to be going into year five next year? No, I I think that there's a special category. You can't put him in the rookie class. I because... think what you have to do is you saw Rogers didn't play as great like his year one there wasn't amazing not to just you know at related things to factors i think the beginning of year two i think you have to judge him against everybody else where this year i think i'm judging him on like a rookie grading not a full rookie grading scale but hey there's going to be some inconsistencies there but hey He's got another playoff game, though, too. So that could do a, a whole lot for you, too. Yeah. Later in the week, we'll talk about what sort of, you know, tests they will give San Francisco. Uh, you know, and I think that obviously they won over a heck of a lot of fans on Sunday. That was just, it was so impressive on every level. And by the way, don't sleep on the return of Aaron Jones to help. Like that's four straight 100 yard games for him, three touchdowns yesterday. He is a difference maker, like on a team, particularly on a team that is so young at the skill positions where every receiver and tight end is either a rookie or in the second year. Like for a guy who's been there, who has been through everything, just kind of be like, okay, we're good. And such a good personality and a good guy. I was happy. I think he's one of the the most underrated backs over the last five years because you had Rodgers and Devontae. Everyone knew he was good, but he never really got talked about in that top tier because they had Rodgers and Devontae Adams. And then this year, I mean, he started out hot, and then, you know, they were using him as a receiver, and then he got injured and was kind of banged up throughout the whole year. And obviously, we saw him yesterday do what he does. All right, let's move on to Sunday Night Football, which was really the saving grace of the first two days of Super Wild Card Weekend because we had three stinkers before that one. Detroit ends up getting its first postseason win in 32 years, hanging on to beat the Rams by one. Goff and Stafford against their old teams, they were both great, both great. How amazed are you with the three-year turnaround in Motown under Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes? It It's phenomenal how they've built that. I know we probably – I think we did a similar segment a couple weeks ago. You know, truly, like, every fucking head coach is like, oh, we're going to be toughness, smart, tough, da-da-da. And they truly have leaned into that, right? Like, And just being like, hey, let's just get talent, right? Let's not get over – let's not overthink this shit. Let's get tough, talented cats. And they've done that, right? And you, it's, you know, Laporta, you know, he has a big game. Like, they, like, I hate this. I hate, because it sounds corny and cliche. Like, they've, in, like, 
taken on that city of Detroit, but they truly have. Like they've all bought in, like bought into whatever you th- on other teams, tr- other coaches trying to do this. It's corny. The co- the players roll their eyes, but for some reason that team is just like a team full of high schoolers who are just like this is it. This is this is life and death. We put on for our city that we weren't raised in and didn't go to college to, but we got drafted here and we're we're putting on for our city. I thought last night was really cool. Obviously, I did the post game right after it was over, and we have a reporter named Bridget Condon who was out there all weekend in Detroit, and she interviewed Taylor Decker, who's the longest tenured member of the Lions. And usually you don't interview offensive linemen after games. They don't like being interviewed, and offensive linemen are pretty anonymous people. Sorry, dude, but they just are. And he was the perfect guy to interview. He was so emotional, taking his time getting through the interview to talk about what it meant to the people of Detroit and to him, a guy who had been through so many horseshit seasons. And you could feel like almost going on the journey during this two-and-a-half-minute interview with him, how hard it was to get to the point where they won a freaking playoff game at home that rewarded them with another one in six days. Like, you could just feel part of the journey. And if you go back, and you'll be on social media today, you will find a half dozen Dan Campbell clips from over the years where he he is so relatable to us fans and, more importantly, to his players, right? Sometimes coaches say stuff and players roll their eyes. Like, this is a dude who was in it for over a decade as a second- and third-string tight end. And he says, listen, I know that this is hard. If I didn't have to throw the, you know that clip where he says, if I didn't have to throw the pads on to make you better, I wouldn't. I would love to protect your bodies. And I would love to protect your livelihoods. But I can't, guys. You have to understand that for the betterment of you and for us as an organization, we have to be tackling. We have to be blocking. We have to be hitting each other because we have to be ready to go week one. We can't be in pad shape in week seven or eight. Like, his speeches are so good to listen to. And so you can understand why these guys have bought in over the last three years. Yeah. And we, you know, I'm so glad that we, me and Justin got to go to Detroit and watch some of their practices and training camp. And, you know, we, we had just finished watching the giants nine training camp practices and you go and watch in Detroit and we're like, these dudes are fucking popping. Like they, they, this is a, this is a different practice. This is a different practice atmosphere. And after the Giants' issues this year, the regression, you kind of want to be like, hey, look at that. Let's let's do a little more of that. Like even special teams drills. Like they're they're they are going all out. Like blocking, like it's like the Super Bowl going all out. So building that, and it's it builds players who are just ready for every single moment, right? And Amon Ross, St. Brown. I don't think we can talk about how good he is enough. You know. They had three third-down conversions. They were all to Amon Ross St. Brown. Three catches for 67 yards, all big plays, including a third and 14 that gave them the field goal that ended up winning the game. You know, the fourth and goal touchdown to Laporta. And all of that, while stat, I don't want to talk, I want to talk about the booing and stuff in a second, too. Like, just one of the most memorable non-championship memories of the NFL in a long time. Yeah, well, you talked about them doing stuff that other teams don't maybe in training camps and stuff. I think it starts with the messaging because not every coach could get his team to buy in the way that Campbell does. Um, As far as the game goes, 
What you had a problem with Stafford getting booed? No, I loved it. I loved oh, it yeah, so much. I, I had pro- I had a problem with people having a problem with it. It's a playoff game. Do it everything you get get into his head. Now Stafford played awesome. I think he played better than golf, honestly. Um, and it, but you could tell it bothered him. Like he was asked after the game if he's you know happy for the city at all, or whatever. He's like, I'm happy for their players. Made made a point to be like, like I'm pissed off at those fans right now, which is fine. But I I loved every second of it. And that you know what the closest that boo was to. And you know this one, LeBron's first game back in Cleveland, which is maybe the most insane sports moment of all time. Like that's the only thing that I can remember being more hostile than Matthew Stafford, like their beloved quarterback coming back. Yeah, a little different, but yeah, I, I kind of get what you're talking about. Um, it was a fun game. I mean, the difference was that when the Lions were in the red zone, they scored touchdowns. When the Rams were in the red zone, they kicked field goals. And they end up losing by one. I know some people say the refereeing was shoddy. Yeah, it's been a major problem this year. I did think Stafford got roughed on that one shot where he took three different blows and then hit his head off the turf. Uh, I thought they missed that call. I hated what happened to Tyler Higbee. Now we hear that he's got a torn ACL. That wasn't an illegal shot. Was it a dirty shot? I don't know. I don't play football. You hear it. They talked about it last night on the broadcast where Collinsworth said, if you talk to 25 guys and ask them whether they'd like to be hit near their head or near their knee, they'll all take their head. And it's because of shots like that with Tyler Higby. We really narrowed the area where you could feel good about hitting a guy and not putting him at risk head-wise or knee-wise. And that was a tough way to go. Tough way to look at it. All right, let's move uh, over to the AFC. The champs are moving on to the divisional round for the seventh straight year. They took care of Miami in the fourth coldest game in NFL history. Defense was unbelievable. Uh, offense was good enough. Are you willing to say, yes, Kansas City is a real Super Bowl threat after a eh, regular season? Yes, even though I wouldn't pick them versus the Texans or the Ravens. Um, I mean, it's as simple as this, right? Like, I hate narrowing it down to such simplicities. They have the best quarterback in the NFL in the number two defense. They have a great head coach. And they have Travis Kelsey, who is a playoff player who's, you know, him and, like, we why is Kelsey always open? Because they freestyle. Because they see something that a defense is doing and what the defense expects, and they just totally break the rules of what they're supposed to do. So when I think you have those four different factors, um, you got a pass rusher like Chris Jones who can change a game. I think they are always going to have a chance. They move the ball well. They just got to finish in the red zone. Mm-hmm. That's six scoring drives. Yeah, the last couple of weeks, that's been a problem. You know, Harrison Butker has, you know, kind of saved them. You know, he's been so good. But, yeah, they're going to have to start scoring touchdowns instead of settling for field goals at critical times. Um, also, Rasheed Rice has not been the problem at receiver. That kid has grown up a ton over the last five or six weeks and become a really, really viable threat. You understand why now they traded up in the second round to get him. Yeah, and he was a hard eval to do because he was such an unpolar. Like, he would have the best blocking reps in the world, and then you see him get pressed off to the, you know, into the bench. But he's a perfect fit for the Chiefs because they're going to face so many zone coverages because of the homes. So he's a he's a perfect fit for them. Miko Harbin, how about we try and finish some plays, and maybe that can make a difference. And what you yes. what you guys do? Uh, if I was Andy Reid, I would gather that because Mahomes does it a little too, right? But it's not like a, but like you see, I mean, 
I'd be like, stop worrying about the refs. I don't want to hear anything about the refs anymore. Stop worrying about the refs. Don't talk to them during the game. Because I feel like it's sometimes it's distracting to the Chiefs where they're just always focused on the referees after that. What was the game where they got um, screwed? I can't remember. The Packers uh, game? What, no, it was Bills? The, the Bills the, game. He did get screwed. Yeah, the Bills game when they, uh, yeah, the, the, the Tony, Tony the offsides Tony. thing. Well, Tony, healthy scratch, by the way. Listen, the. I think that if uh, if Buffalo wins today and they have to go to Buffalo, I mean, that is going to be a hell of a tall task for them. It's why I won't say they're necessarily all the way back, because if it's the top four seeds left in the AFC, let's play this game. Where would you rank them out of those four teams? Three or four. I would I would pick them to beat the Bills. I know the wow. Bills have beat them in the regular season consistently, but they've beat the Bills in the playoffs consistently. Uh, the Texans are tough. I feel like it being in Kansas City helps out a lot. Yep. And I feel like the Chiefs defense does change week to week, which will help them go against the you know Bobby Slowick and the and CJ Stroud. That one's tough. Now the Ravens, I'm picking over them clear cut, but uh, the Texans, I could. You know, dep- literally depending on the weather can change my opinion on on that one. Interesting. All right, let's move on to the Texans. C.J. Cool. Stroud. Huh. I want to spend a little time on this. Oh, you, oh, you want to talk to it, don't you? I'm done. Mm. The reason they didn't get shut out was because of a wildly underthrown ball that Tyreek Hill saved and made a touchdown. I'm out. What is like? You can spare me all the yards and numbers and shit, but Mc- it's a McDaniel offense, right? Like, I feel like we talk the way people talk about Purdy is the way we should be talking about Tua, where it's like he is totally like, yeah, is he accurate? Absolutely. Can he run McDaniel's offense uh, excellently when it's perfect? Yeah. But it's basically first read, bam, get like the whole offense is built to get the attention of the def- off defense one way and have your second, the second way you look open. And when a team's rotate to it well, he's just done. And the arm talent's not good enough. The ability to move is not good enough to make up for those issues. Is he going to continue to get better as a QB? Yes, but like I'm just I'm just out on Tua. Okay, so what do you do? They already picked up his fifth year option. I think he's like twenty three million or something like that. Do I mean you have to run it back with him? Yeah, right? you play this year out. Now, if you if they truly want to go after Kirk, then do it. If they don't. Like I, I'm not gonna be mad at them for not going after Kirk, but you play it year by year. You play this year, and you know this next year. And if it's in a place where hey he did well, you franchise tag him. Like like look at the mistakes of teams like my Giants did. I I, I franchise tag him because I'm I'm just not I'm not I'm not giving up big I'm not set building big assets into two Tagovailoa. Yeah, him too. So wait a second. You said go after Kirk, and what? You keep Tua's a twenty-three million dollar backup? Oh no, you trade him. All right, but I'm I'm saying I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cuss out the Dolphins for not going after Kirk and and all that. But I think they should. I think they should too, man. It feels like they're they're making a real mistake if they don't. And people are gonna cry. Oh look, he led the league in yards. Duh, duh, duh. I don't give a matter. shit. Dude. I don't either. Like they you, ha- he is a he is an eye test quarterback, and the eye test tells you he's not an elite quarterback, and he's never ever going to be an elite quarterback. Can he get to golf level? Yes, but I don't think he's on golf's level. They went one and six against winning teams this year. 
They had one freaking win against a winning team. And it was versus the damn the, the freaking Cowboys. And then the Cowboys shot themselves in the foot 20 times in that game. Fullback fumbled a touchdown. All right. Now we're on to C.J. Stroud, who continues to wow the world, dropping 45 on the number one ranked defense in the league. Is Houston a cute little story or a real problem for whomever is next? I think they're a real problem for anybody. Like, do, do, does any, do even the Ravens look at them and be like, oh, Texas, they, they can't handle that, right? Like, having – despite, you know, the offensive line injuries, having Laramie Tunsil is a game changer. Like, I, I want to ask you do, you, do people realize how good Laramie Tunsil is before mm-hmm. this game versus Miles Garrett? Because no. he's been a top three left tackle for the last three, four years. Yeah, he's just incredible. He's a beast. He shut down Garrett. In fact, that whole offensive line, I think that was the thing that surprised me the most. I understood that Tunsil could erase Miles Garrett. I was surprised that the rest of the team, not only did they get no sacks, they only hit Stroud once. They did they they did a great job like being able to scheme big plays while protecting their right tackle, Charlie Heck, who got destroyed in that matchup earlier in the season. Um, and you thought that Cleveland would be able to take advantage of some of that stuff. But yeah, CJ Stroud's awesome. This to me, this was more of a Bobby Slowick game, though, right? Because you think about how they score now. Stroud had, you know, big plays that led to the actual touchdown play. Like the first two scoring drives were big throws to Nico and, and Mechie where Stroud stands and he gets hit. But the touchdowns were the Nico Collins screen, which screen plays are hard to run in the NFL. Like, honestly, I, I wish teams ran them less. The Dalton Schultz one, which was beautiful, where it's like you get everybody flowing one way. Beautiful. You've put this play on film a million times. You have Dalton Schultz. Oh, he's running a corner. Bang, bang it inside. He's open. One of the most underrated players. And then Brevin Jordan, who I might be like the only person in the NFL world who like likes Brevin Jordan. Their backup tight end has all that yak play. So just was able to do a good job protecting up front while being able to create explosives. Like I thought it was, you know, CJ Stroud operated it perfectly and Slowick, man, he he put together a good game plan versus Schwartz. And it still was a relative game uh, midway through the third when Flacco, I think, was trying to throw that away. I, I don't know, but that was a first down play. Like, if you could have one play back, just eat it. Like, it's so it's second and 17. You're still can maybe get a field goal out of that drive, or who knows, somehow you extend the drive. You cannot just throw the ball into the air. It's first, I have that because I want to ask you because obviously you're a Browns fan. How disappointing was that from Flacco, right? Because, you know, this yeah. team was the most turnovers in the NFL, and it's like, man, just stop turning over the damn ball. It's 24 to 14. You're going to – at the Texans 34 first down, you're going to get make this a one-score game. And he just throws the game away. And then, you know, the, the fourth down, you know, I, I don't hate him as much for that. I hate the play call yeah. a little more than I hate Flacco on that. Just – I mean, Stroud had to throw through the, ball, through the ball five times in the second half. Because yeah, well, Flacco the threw thing. the game away. Yeah, they just – their defense is what shocked me. The fact that the Browns had their worst tackling day, and they totally got – I mean, they, there were other plays for the Texans to have made, right? On that first possession, Dalton Schultz got behind the defense. He could have had a 30-yard gain on a pass yeah. play that he dropped. Like, they just totally out-schemed Jim Schwartz's club. And Schwartz actually apologized to the GM. There's video of it after the game. It's like, I'm sorry. I, I I don't know exactly what happened, but I'll give Houston a hell of a lot of credit to turn it around, you know, basically three weeks after you're getting your butt kicked at home. I know with a backup quarterback and some other guys who didn't play, 
But man, that was really impressive. And it was the number one reason why I didn't want to play Houston. Like I had the three teams ranked that they could have played going into week 18. I first wanted Indianapolis and then I wanted Jacksonville. I wanted little, the least to do with Houston because of CJ Stroud and what he has brought to that team. Man, they are so set up right now for a myriad of reasons. But, you know, all of a sudden that AFC South has gone from Jacksonville's division over the next six, seven years to, I don't, depending on what Anthony Richardson turns into, that's going to be a hell of a battle down there. When you think about maybe the, the talk about Trevor Lawrence coming into the season, and I think Trevor Lawrence is really good. But if you, I think nine out of 10 people would say they want CJ Stroud over Trevor Lawrence. Like, like, oh, I'm shocked that we are saying that at the end of the season. I'm shocked. Not only that, we, we know how crazy some people are. They're like, the only people I'd take over CJ Stroud right now are Lamar and Patrick Mahomes. Now, I think that people have forgotten how good Joe Burrow is when he's not limping around on a bad calf or having wrist surgery. But I understand the point. Like, he is so – his little subtle movements that he makes in the pocket are – it feels like he's been doing that seven or eight years, not seven months. Pretty Which impressive. is crazy because at Ohio State, I didn't do, I didn't do a deep dive in the Stroud, but I watched some stuff, and you felt like, man, when it's when you're not just overwhelming a team with talent, you saw like issues there, and he's he's totally dispelled a lot of that stuff. So he's well, he's killer. I'm I'm excited for him. As long as I just hope the Steelers don't win today, because I want to see the Bills in the next. I think the AFC playoffs would be amazing. I agree. Uh, but those. Both matchups, man, are going to be sick in the AFC as long as Buffalo is able to pull it out. Yep. And we'll see. By the time some of you are watching this, you'll know exactly who is moving on. Uh, We're going to have another episode probably Thursday since we go again with Saturday football. Does that sound okay to you? I was thinking, what what if we do a quick hitter tomorrow after the Monday games? Possible. Like a a 15-minute episode. Yeah, I don't see why not. I think that could be fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Enjoy your football viewing. Uh, For producer Mikey and Bobby Skinner from the Talking Giants world, I am Chris Rose. We've agreed. We will see you Tuesday on Football Today.